All right, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here for our adult Bible class. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we will begin this morning. Let's bow. Lord, thank you for another Sunday, another Lord's Day, where we can remember you and we can give some specific time set aside to studying your word. Lord, we know that your word is truth, it is life, it is what feeds our soul, gives light for our path, and it's what, most importantly, reveals you. It's what tells us what you're like and how we can know you and, and records for us your work of grace throughout history to bring salvation to sinners like us. So Lord, give us clear minds and humility this morning, and I pray that these conversations would be encouraging and productive as we seek to grow as followers of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so this is our last, um, our last adult Bible class where we will be focusing on the issue of soteriology over the last seven weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, somewhere in there, seven weeks. We've been studying the doctrine of salvation. What does it mean that God saves sinners, and how does that happen? And over the last several weeks, we've been looking specifically at what is often called the doctrines of grace. Um, there's an acronym, TULIP that sort of um, records and summarizes a number of teachings that describe how God sovereignly brings about salvation uh, for his children. And so that acronym, T is total depravity, the U would be unconditional election, the L would be limited atonement, which I like uh, particular redemption better, um, definite atonement better, but I'm not going to mess up the acronym. So we'll keep the L, limited atonement. I would be irresistible grace, which you covered two weeks ago, and P would be the perseverance of the saints, or God's preservation of his saints, which you covered last week. So Stephen's done the lion's share of the teaching. I think I've only taught one of these. Is that correct? So you've taught four. So I'm going to give him all the questions this morning and ask you guys, uh, just as a reminder, if if you're newer, if you're visiting, uh, we try to take a week or two, um, every several weeks, just to pause. We've been doing a lot of teaching. There's a lot of content that we're dumping out. And we like to give just a few minutes for you guys to ask any questions related to what we've been teaching through. And, and this gives us a chance to maybe clarify some things and, and maybe add some detail we didn't have time to add during those lessons. And it gives us a chance to hear, you know, what, what are the sticking points? What are the things that are maybe harder to understand? And we can sort of chew on it a little bit together. So if you have a question, go ahead and just speak up. I may repeat your question just for the recording later. And uh, we'll talk through those for a few minutes this morning. So any questions specifically with reference, I think, to the last two weeks? I mean, we can ask other questions too, but questions about irresistible grace or perseverance of the saints. And maybe just to prime the pump, why don't you go ahead and give us two quick definitions of those. What's irresistible grace and what is perseverance of the saints? So irresistible grace we talked about two weeks ago, like J.D. mentioned, and what we talked about in that definition is that what it's not is sometimes helpful to start with. So it's not strong-arming or dragging somebody into heaven that doesn't want to go. Um, what, it, what it really is trying to articulate is that God accomplishes what he intends to do. So the, the irresistible grace doctrine is really trying to say God's saving grace accomplishes what he intends and sends it to do. Um, that's what um, is kind of a nutshell definition of irresistible grace. And then um, preservation and perseverance of the saints we also talked about. And our definition for that was that um, God preserves his saints, meaning he, he keeps them. What he starts, he will finish, Paul said in Philippians chapter 1. And with that, though, we also see in sanctification that we are called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So there's actually this fruit that's born out of God's saving grace that he starts in us. And that fruit in the Christian's life is 
persevering. It's enduring all the way to the end. And that's why we see several texts warning believers that you are to endure to the end. And so we kind of talked about both sides of that coin since we see both in Scripture. um, And that was important for us to talk through. So any questions? Yeah. So how do we encourage someone who might be discouraged? They're praying for a friend, a loved one, a coworker, and they start thinking, you know what? This person just seems to be blind and completely unresponsive to God's grace. Maybe they're not elect. Maybe God isn't drawing them. And, and it's easy to grow discouraged and just kind of quit. So how do we encourage them to not quit? Um, that's a really good question. It's a practical thing. And I think for me, I just always go back to Scripture and think of some of these stories. And the classic example is the Apostle Paul. So he's someone who is persecuting the church. He's rounding up and arresting Christians. Um, he was complicit in the martyr of Stephen, the execution of a follower of Jesus. So in terms of someone who has a hard heart, someone who's antagonistic to the gospel, he's like, you know, example A of, of the kind of person that no one thought that he would be the person to become a follower of Jesus, let alone become a preacher of the gospel and become an apostle. And in fact, even after he was converted and he shows up in a new town, the people in Jerusalem were like, mm, I don't think so. They didn't even believe it once it happened. It was so unlikely. So I think we can just reflect historically and consider that God often does surprising things. And who knows, we're not, this isn't recorded in scripture, but you have to wonder, um, I wonder if there were people praying for Paul before he was converted. You just have to, have to wonder about that. We don't know for sure, but it seems likely that there were some faithful believers who prayed for their enemies and prayed for God to deliver them, prayed for God to change this man's heart, and God answered that in some pretty amazing ways. So I think we, we have precedent to say that God sometimes does save people who seem most unlikely and unresponsive, so we shouldn't give up. That's, that's just one, one part of that answer. I don't know if you'd add to that. Yeah, I would say with that too, um, because of these doctrines of grace, we actually find encouragement to pray. So one of the things that I came across in studying through this, again, was just realizing and reflecting on different perspectives. So if I believe that God can irresistibly save someone by the power of his grace, then I can pray to God in faith that he'll accomplish his will, and I ask that he would save this person. Um, But if I don't, if I think that God's already done everything that he can in extending himself to a person, then there's nothing left for God to do. Um, So why pray at that point? Because at that point, it's depending on that person rather than depending on God. Yeah, it's just depending on the person to kind of respond. Mm -hmm. And so it can become discouraging. I think some of the discouragement comes from uh, a, a poor perspective of prayer and of these graces we're talking about in salvation. So understanding these can actually 
encourage and anchor our soul to say, it's not my words and my conversation that's going to persuade. I am called in Scripture. We see examples persuading and pleading with people. But ultimately, um, if we believe that God's the one that does the work, then we pray faithfully, knowing that ultimately, no matter how many times I share the gospel, it has to be the Holy Spirit that's working in their heart and in their mind. And so we can find encouragement, actually, in these doctrines of grace, recognizing Mm -hmm. that God is the one who does the work. And so I need to be faithful in it, but for there to bear fruit, God has to do something. And so I think sometimes we, when we start, we, we, we kind of try to be eager, but then the enduring part of, of evangelism can be really discouraging to say, man, I, you know, I sometimes would, would share the gospel over and over again. It seems like there's nothing happening. There's just total rejection. Um, but that's where God gets the most glory when it's like he just breaks a, a resistance and rebel spirit to become tender and to be soft and not and turn from stone. So Yeah. Biblically there's no one beyond the reach of God's grace, which is encouraging. So yeah. Wouldn't would it also be fair to say in that same context then that um, it's important for us to reflect the, the distance that God went to save us mm-hmm. and not just that person. It's easy for us to say, oh, I don't know if they're ever gonna make it, but nevertheless we're not looking at ourselves and saying, How far did God go to reach me? Yep. We have far more in common with that person than we realize. We're just like them. It's the same grace that reached us can reach them. We were just as unlikely as they were. Yeah, so there needs to be some, we can sort of identify with those people and not see them as as really being that different than us because we have so much in common. That's a good point. Pat. Yes. Good. Amen. Other questions about irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints? So the question is, you know, Jesus says not to uh, cast our pearls before swine, um, to throw to dogs what is holy. So there's a point at which the apostles are told, if a town won't receive you, shake the dust off your sandals and go somewhere else. So I would, first of all, distinguish between um, face-to-face evangelism and prayer. You can shake the dust off your feet, go somewhere else. You can stop engaging someone. Maybe I've shared the gospel with a family member half a dozen times, and they've told me in no uncertain terms, we're not having this conversation anymore. Okay, but you can't stop me from praying for you. So I would distinguish between prayer and, and spending the time and the effort relationally to share the gospel with someone again. I think if it's been shared, um, obviously we want to share it again because I think that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word, so I want them to be exposed over and over again to this truth. But even if it's been shared once, that is enough. Um, but, we're, but we shouldn't look to do the least amount possible. I think we should look to do the most possible. And if it becomes clear this is an impossible situation, there's nothing more I can do, then we're really freed from needing to do more in terms of that face-to-face evangelism. I think we can commit it to prayer. We can move on and pray for that person, even if we don't talk to them about it anymore. Um, but I think we should be slow to arrive at that place. And, and it just takes wisdom. It takes discernment to do that. Um, and I would even prayerfully ask, like, Lord, make this clear. Do you want me to keep sharing with this person? If so, like, you know, give me a burden for them. Give me opportunities. Um, and Lord, if, if, if I've really done enough, 
help me to be at peace with just praying for them and not trying to me be the Holy Spirit and micromanage it and force you to be convicted and to believe like I can't, I can't do that. I can't micromanage someone's heart. But, all right. Yeah, it really is a matter of faith. So we need to have an eagerness to share um, and be looking if, if there's any opportunity. That, that's what, what our natural bent is towards, that we want to engage people with the gospel and share with them. And then a willingness to recognize if the door is slammed in our face, that doesn't mean it's over. God, can, God is still sovereign over their heart. I can continue to pray. And even if I can't keep engaging, we have to trust the Lord with that. Like you said, Pat, it is... If salvation belongs to the Lord, that's what's so encouraging about this. We can trust him with that. It doesn't all depend on us. Other questions about perseverance of the saints or irresistible grace? Yes, and that's how we should pray. we should pray. Yeah. Yeah, we do pray for God to open people's eyes. And what's amazing is what that shows when we pray that, when we pray that God opens their eyes, we're showing not just that God knows who will respond to him. We're showing that God is the one who gives them the ability to respond to him. So we're praying, saying, God, you're sovereign over men's hearts. You are able to initiate what's required for salvation by opening their eyes. That's what irresistible grace is, giving them the ability to believe, and, and not, just, not just this external call, but this effectual internal call that actually makes something happen. I love that you, you used the illustration of Lazarus um, in the Gospel of John. When, God, when Christ uh, commands Lazarus to come out, 
the command carries with it the power to do it. And when, when Christ calls someone to salvation, when the Holy Spirit is drawing someone to salvation, when they have that, when they experience that internal calling, God's work of opening their eyes and, and drawing them to himself actually enables them to believe. And so it's, we would say it's more. When God chooses someone for salvation, it's more than just God knowing who would respond to him. It's actually God making it happen. And, and so that's what we're trying to, to, to try to teach and, and affirm here is that this election, this unconditional election, is, is God's initiative. It's his working. And, and I agree with you that we don't know who that is. So it's not our job to necessarily figure out who out there is elect. Scripture says we're to make our own election and calling sure. We're to examine our own selves. But we can't see in, into anyone's heart. So we, we indiscriminately broadcast the gospel to all. And, and, and we would say salvation is open in that sense to all. The gospel call goes out to everyone. We don't know whom God has chosen. We don't know who will believe. Um, but we leave that up to God. We, we preach the gospel and we pray, God, open their eyes. You know, enable them to believe. Give them this gift of faith and repentance so that they wake up and realize who Jesus is and believe. Like, God can do that. And it's kind of interesting, if God were passive, if God were waiting on us to respond to him, those sorts of prayers would actually be inappropriate. It would be God meddling and interfering with someone's free will for him to open their eyes and draw them to himself. So we, we, we think that the, this idea of election and God choosing is, is God actively initiating salvation. And that gives us so much hope that we can pray, like exactly like you're saying, we can pray, God, open their eyes. Draw them to yourself. Accomplish the salvation that you have planned and provided through Jesus. Make it happen now for them. Sorry, I didn't get to teach the last no, several weeks, so I'm like kind of, no, I've got a lot stocked up in there. Go for it. Yeah. Other questions? Yeah. yeah in, in light of that, can you please uh, share again in terms of the Presbyterian Saints coupled uh, distinctly with working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, that fruit you described to you that we're looking for that demonstrates that preservation? So the question is kind of what do, how do we distinguish between perseverance and preservation, and what does that look like in regards to order? So um, what's important to distinguish is that the perseverance of the saint is the fruit of salvation that has happened. So it's something that comes afterwards. It's not a um, qualification. So when we say, um, if you're a true saint, you will persevere to the end, we're not saying you need to persevere to the end so that you will be saved. It's not saying this is a condition you must meet as much as saying a warning to say this is what it means. This is the result if you are a real believer, if you are truly trusting in Christ. He gives grace to endure to the end. And so that is um, important for us to understand that we're not putting the cart before the horse, so to speak. That we're not trying to say, hey, you actually need to now add works Sure, you've, you've started, God's given you this initial grace to start, but now you need to do your part, and you actually need to do something. You need to show that, that there's some sort of effort on your part, a work of some sort. So we don't want to add works before, and we don't want to add works after to say this is something you're doing on your own, as much as saying this is the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Um, so we need to recognize that ultimately salvation from front to back, from start to finish, is of the Lord. Um, he is, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So we need to recognize that and remember that even if you, you are currently a believer, 
we ought to be asking and praying for God's enduring grace, for his forgiving grace, for his transforming grace today. Like, we don't stop needing grace at some point. It's like, all right, I got enough today, and now it's, you know, my turn to take over because my eyes have been opened. I'm just figuring it out on my own. But we actually need to rest and, and request God's grace to continue to, to impact us and change us and transform us to be more like Christ. So maybe you could, I mean, there's two ways to say it. Would you say that... Um, because we persevere in the faith, we are then preserved by God? Would you say it's because we're preserved by God that we then persevere in the faith? Because I would say B. I would emphasize B on that. Yeah. I wouldn't try to pit them against each other as much mm-hmm. as seeing them like... So the theological terms are active and passive, right? There's... Um, who is the active agent in this step of the process? Who is the passive? Who's just receiving? And in sanctification, we say God is active, and we would say the believer is actively passive or passively active. They're kind of there's this this mixture of action that's going on. Um, it's a dependent. It's action. a dependent action. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, that's why you can you can reasonably do both. But the the first domino that has to fall is God. If God mm-hmm. does not act. We don't breathe, right? Mm-hmm. So we are totally dependent on him for everything. So for us to come to salvation and then try to zoom in and say, ah, I think this is my part and this is his part. It's like, no, that, that I don't have any life and breath apart from him. So he's always the first domino that has to fall. He's the cause of, of all things. So, yes. Um, so it was just reminding me of Galatians 3. Paul says, let me ask you this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a rhetorical question. Obviously, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We receive salvation by faith, not by our efforts at keeping the law. And then the next verse, he says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, with reference to salvation, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So it doesn't start with grace, and then we take the baton and run with it. It's grace all the way through. So, Yeah, and I was just going to reference again um, Hebrews chapter 3 as well. Um, The author writes, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So there's this Mm -hmm. conditional statement, but what he's saying is this has already happened if this result comes about. So he's, he's putting this new birth, this regeneration in the past tense, and he's saying this fruit shows that that really happened back then. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just a great, concise verse that shows this is the fruit, and this is the root that that indicates if you see this fruit. Um, and that's right in line with what Jesus taught to you. You will know them by their fruit. Good. Tyrone, that's a great question, and it's one that every person in the room has to answer. If you died right now, would you go to heaven? And that's actually a question I ask a lot of people fairly often. Um, And the cool thing is, is that the Bible says we can know that we have eternal life. In fact, 
there's a book of the Bible that says these things are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know the answer to that question. You can say, I, I can answer it. And I have knowledge of God's truth that I can know that I am going to heaven. So Stephen, how, how would you answer that question? How do you know, do you know that you're going to heaven? Personal question here from Tyrone. Yeah, for me personally, um, I know that I'm going to heaven because Jesus is my everything. So when I am at the doorstep and Jesus says, why should I let you into my heaven? I would say I'm, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And it's by your grace alone that I can come into heaven. Please be merciful to me. You know, as I say every morning, um, his mercies are new and we need him. And so First John is the, the book of the Bible that J.D. was just referencing. And it's important for us to recognize that is a beautiful part of this uh, perseverance of the saints we're talking about. It's enduring to the end. Like, how do I know? So I know there's eternal security, but how do I personally know that I am going to get in? Um, if I'm believing truths, how do I know that I actually am going to gain entrance into eternal life? And um, what John writes in that letter is, is really kind of three primary tests, um, three tests that we can have in our own heart. And one of the tests that's most encouraging to me is that um, in, I think, chapter 3, he talks about his Holy Spirit actually ministers to us and overcomes our fears and doubts. And so one of the most encouraging ways we can know for sure is, is asking God, will you help me to know where I stand before you? Mm-hmm. Will you open my heart to, to understand your spirit? And that's the beauty of eternal security is that he gives you, when you're saved, you get a, a guarantee, a seal, something that says, I will let you into my heaven and I will finish what I started in you. And that's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, the other test, he indicates there's, there's truths we have to know. There's doctrine or um, we need to trust in Jesus. We need to know who Jesus is rightly. Um, but we also ought to obey. So there's a, an obedience test. Like, does my life show that there's actual fruit from the Holy Spirit? So the Spirit actually is involved in all three of these tests. If you think there's stuff i got to know, there's stuff i got to obey, and His Spirit actually um, testifies to the truth in me. How do we know truth? Only God's Holy Spirit can open our eyes to see truth. How do we walk in obedience? Well, it's the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And so the the way the Spirit overcomes and ministers to us is when we look at our life and we can look back and say, wow, this is not of me, this is of God. And God has changed me and saved me from being a wretch that hates God, rebels against him, and wants my own way. And says, wow, I'm... I really need Jesus each and every day. And I'm not talking to my friends one way and then, you know, going on and trying to look a certain way. And I really want people to think of me a certain way. I'm not trapped in this sinful um, habits anymore. But I actually have been freed from the slavery of sin. And I can find victory, not in myself, but in Jesus. So I think those are, those are some ways that Scripture kind of testifies to ourselves and we need to know things. There ought to be fruit in our life. And the Spirit can, can minister to us, especially in times of doubt, to say, I don't want my assurance from Pastor J.D. I don't want J.D. to look into my life and just say, don't worry about it, you're saved. I can really tell because I have this gift of discernment in your life. Well, then I'm trusting in J.D., right? I'm trusting in somebody else to assure me that I can get to heaven. And that's not enough because J.D. doesn't earn my salvation. He can't guarantee it. But God can. 
And so ultimately, the, the gift of assurance is something that can ebb and flow in the Christian's life, but we can't look to others to get it. And the only way we find it is, is resting in God's promises yeah. alone. And that's, that's how I would answer that question as far as resting in God's promises. Tyrone, if you were to ask me that question personally, do I know that I'm going to heaven? I would say yes. And if you said, how do you know that? The very simple answer is because Jesus said so. Um, he told me I could come. So a verse that I often like to talk about with people is in Romans chapter 10. If you have a Bible, you can look this up in Romans chapter 10. This would be a good little verse to like underline and, and circle words and things like that. But in Romans 10 verse 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning that if you see that he really is the son of God and he is the king and he's my king, I'm ready to bow my knee to him. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So you're believing that Jesus died for sin and rose again. That's the gospel. Um, And you really believe that's true. And you believe there's power in that resurrection, that Jesus has power to save. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, it doesn't say that you might be saved. It doesn't say that you could be saved. Um, It doesn't say that you'll probably be saved. It says you will be saved. So Tyrone, that's a verse you should underline in your Bible, is Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And that's a promise by God. In the next verse, in verse 10, it says, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So for all of us, when we think about our own salvation, at the end of the day, can we know that we are saved? Can we know that we are going to heaven when we die? The answer is, the answer is yes, we can. On what basis do we know that? There's a number of tests we can evaluate, like Stephen said, to see if that's taken place in our heart. And at the end of the day, What matters is, do you believe in, are you trusting in Jesus, his death and resurrection? That's it. In fact, I was reminded about this recently from another sermon. Uh, I like Alistair Begg. He's one of my favorite favorite preachers. He was talking about the thief who died on the cross. And that thief who died on the cross never got a chance to come to this Sunday school class. He didn't learn all of this stuff. He didn't know anything about all this stuff. And, and Pastor Begg was kind of telling a humorous story. He said, imagine, you know, the thief that died on the cross next to Jesus. In, in the Gospel of Luke, we find this story that this man is mocking Jesus. He's being crucified because he deserves it. He's a thief and a robber. And then he feels guilty. He realizes this guy really is the Messiah. I deserve to be here. And he says, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. He confessed that Jesus is Lord, and he believed that God was going to raise him from the dead. He knew that there was a kingdom coming, and this death on a cross wasn't the end for Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, today you will be with me in paradise. And Pastor Begg was saying, imagine all the angels in heaven. They're asking this thief, so, so, so tell me about your, the church that you were a member of. And he goes, well, I, I never went to church. Well, tell me about your baptism. Well, I never got baptized. Well, can you explain to me these different doctrines? You know, what's your understanding of justification by faith? And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And then the angel goes, well, why are you here? And the man answers. And, well, the man on the middle cross said I could come. And that's really it. We trust in Jesus. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead. The Bible promises us, God promises us, you will be saved. So that's how we can know, Tyrone, and I'm glad that your grandma's asking you that question because there's no more important question that we could ever consider. So be praying through that question and be studying Romans chapter 10 and ask God to help you understand that and, and to understand where you, like Stephen said, to understand where you are in terms of your relationship with God. And this is God's promise to all who believe that we will be saved. So excellent question. Lord. Yes. Yes. I 100% agree. Yeah, any, any confession of Christ that happily receives his work as a savior but stiff arms him as Lord, that's not a true confession. So, yeah, and I think that's something that we all have to, to realize and, and decide. Um, are we fully submitted to him as Lord? Is his lordship um, a part of our confession? Or do we want Jesus to be kind of friends with benefits? You know, um, we get the salvation, but we still remain our own boss. You know, that's, that's part of repentance is turning from self and submitting to Christ. So absolutely, that's good. Any other questions this morning?
Mm -hmm. And the gospel really is simple um, at its essence, but it's also profound. And so while it starts with that very simple understanding of I'm a sinner, Jesus died and rose again, I trust in him for salvation, it starts there. But then the rest of our lives, if Jesus is Lord and if he is good, our love for him um, means we grow in knowledge of him. So, so that's why we're even having a class like this where we're, some of you might feel a little bit stretched, a little bit pushed. We're talking about the sovereignty of God and, and sort of splitting some hairs between you know, preservation and perseverance, and we're getting down into the nuts and bolts of it. But if this is really our Savior, if he's done this for us, then we want to know him. And he gave us a lot more than just a few verses. He gave us this whole book and so we want to immerse ourselves in it as an act of obedience and worship to understand the glory and the depth of this gospel. This gospel where we see the tip of this iceberg and it's enough. Like the thief on the cross, it was enough. Um, but had that thief lived another 40, 50 years, imagine the love for Christ that would have pushed him to want to know everything he could know about the man on the middle cross who had saved him. So, right. Right, so we want to keep growing. We want to keep pursuing. And even if you're 80, don't stop. Keep studying this. Keep pressing in more to know the Lord more. Because One of the questions that I have now in old age is why in the world is he keeping me on earth? I don't want to be here. And so um, I decided either I was a very slow learner and he's still had things for me to learn, or he had some things for me to do. And I just moved recently in March to a new apartment. Opportunities, yeah, opportunities for ministry. Yes, sir. So if I could summarize the question, <clears throat> we're thinking about kids, children, of today, and we see our, our world is becoming increasingly godless, um, how are they going to hear about this? And how are they going to know these things? Where are they going to find it? If they're not getting it at home, we know they're not going to get it in the, school, the public school system. They're not going to get it from Hollywood. They're not going to find it through you know, so many of these avenues that are out there. So... Sure. Yeah. I have a couple thoughts, but I'll let you go first. 
Okay. Unless you want me to go first. You can if you want. Okay. So, I was so, going to say that's a great opening call to missions. I mean, I mean, yeah. we're, we're commanded and called to share the gospel. Um, so that's, that's just a huge need. Um, um, and, and part of it is, you know, I'm thinking through the prophets, you know, here am I, send me, you know. That's, that's ought to be part of our heart for the lost is recognizing um, Satan wants to scoop up any seeds that are laid down and there's so much less natural context for kids. I mean, when you look at um, how America started, um, it was for religious freedoms. And when you see that God was in the center of the education system and it's been ripped out, um, there's a huge need there. And Christians ought not to look at that context and say, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I hate that context. I resist that context. I'm not going to send my kids to that context, but ought to have a heart and a compassion for all the kids that are there. Um, they're gathered together. Um, they, hear, they need to hear the gospel. Um, so, you know, when we're thinking about evangelism, we want to maximize opportunities. So it ought to be something that we look at as believers and say, how do I get my foot in that door? Um, because that's a, that's a great gathering that somebody's doing all the work for. Um, I just need to scatter the seed and, and pray that God will continue to do the work. So we've been in Romans 10 already this morning, and I just read a few minutes ago, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's verse 13. The very, the very next verse, verse 14, says, but how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So the answer is, how are they going to hear you're going to tell them. I'm going to tell them. That's our job is to spread this good news. And I'm encouraged when I read the book of Acts because you have this little band of believers in Jesus in Jerusalem and the rest of the world has no clue who Jesus of Nazareth is or that he died and rose from the grave. And by the end of Acts, you see that there's churches all across the Middle East and, and Europe and North Africa. How did that happen? Well, people went and told people. So that's part of our calling is to tell them. And, the, and the, the cool thing is, is that if God has sovereignly planned in eternity past to save sinners and he has elected to salvation kids that right now have no clue who he is, people that haven't even been born yet, perhaps, if, if Christ tarries, um, God not only planned that they would be saved, he also planned how they would hear and who would tell them. So we're supposed to be part of that plan. And God's going to use us. And he never, God has never said in, in any point in eternity, oh, no, I wonder how this is going to turn out. Like, he's got it, and he's got a plan, and he plans to use his people as the means for spreading that gospel. So our prayers, our evangelism, our sending and supporting of missionaries, our outreach efforts, all of that is necessary and God uses that to accomplish the things he has planned to accomplish, namely the salvation of his elect, the salvation of lost sinners that are destined to believe, but they haven't heard yet. So we're, we're a big part of that process, and that's to be hopefully a tug on all of our hearts, that there's people who don't know and they need to hear. Who's going to tell them? You know, we can sit here and judge all these other people. We can condemn the school system like Stephen said. Or we can do something about it and we can tell someone that Jesus is Lord, that he died and rose again. And that here's an opportunity for you. You can believe and have this salvation. So we're supposed to share that message. So, good. Well, I think we're about out of time. I'll ask you to pray. We'll be done. Lord, we thank you for your amazing grace. We recognize that um, in and of ourselves, uh, we are rebels against you. 
And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to pour out your grace in our hearts and in our minds, that you would give us mouths that are eager and open to declare your glory. Lord, we need to be about your work and your mission. You've given us this church, and we're uh, immensely blessed to hear from your word, to minister to one another, to find a community uh, that loves Christ supremely, Lord. But if we are not about your mission, um, we, we will wither and fade. And we want to be about your mission. So give us a fervency. Give us boldness and courage. Uh, there's opportunities each and every day throughout the week. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us such a, a love for Christ that it pours out of our lives mm-hmm. into those around us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your grace. We ask that you would continue to work in and through us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.